0: Welcome to Informed Aging, a podcast about health, help, and hard decisions for older adults. I'm Robin Roundtree. I spent six years as a family caregiver and now work in the senior care industry. With me is my co-host, Edith Gendron. She's the Chief of Operations for Alzheimer's and Dementia Resource Center, a Positive Approach to Care certified trainer and consultant, and a former family caregiver with over 20 years of experience in the industry. The thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast belong to us, not our wonderful employers and sponsors. If you want to get mad, get mad at us and not at them. Before making any significant changes in you or your person's life, please consult your own experts. Today, we're going to talk about sexuality, sex, and seniors. So, Prepare yourselves. We'll be back right after this.
1: Senior Helpers is the only home care agency offering a revolutionary new way to approach senior care, the Life Profile Assessment. This data-based app is a crucial tool in helping seniors age safely and successfully at home. Combined with our proven in-home care programs and trained caregivers, Senior Helpers Life Profile is leading the way to better outcomes for our clients. For more information, log on to SeniorHelpers.com.
0: Today, we're talking to Tori Ricci of Peachy Therapy. Now, she is amazing. I know Tori personally. So she's been working with individuals and couples for the last 10 years in a variety of settings. She's got a master's in both exercise science and clinical social work. She's a Ph.D. student at the International Institute of Clinical Sexology. She enjoys helping couples and individuals create and grow intimacy. She also works as a social worker with a variety of individuals battling neurological diagnoses for themselves and their care partners. She lives with a chronic illness and has been a former caregiver, so she has walked the walk and talked the talk. She knows all about it, and we are so thrilled to have you here, Tori.
2: Thank you for having me. I'm so grateful to be here.
0: So it's informed aging. We've talked about legal. We've talked about health. We've talked about a lot of things. But sex, it's time because it is part of aging. Let's just kind of start off with what happens to our bodies as we age in regards to sexuality.
2: Sure. Well, as most everyone's aware, as we age, things just start to slow down a little bit. Doesn't work as great. So when we talk about sex, the body's changing as well, especially when we age, both men and women are experiencing decreases in hormones and other ailments that are going on with the body are affecting libido and just our general health. So it affects how we make general decisions about our sexuality. And a lot of times, because sex is a taboo topic, we tend to just push that one under the rug and save it for never, which... I don't think we should do, of course.
0: Obviously. And we know a lot of adult children listen to this podcast, and they're like, oh, no, I don't want to know about my <laughs> parents' sex life. That's natural, but we still, if you have become their caregiver, you have to be the caregiver for the entire person, and sexuality is a part of that. Do you have any advice for getting over that hump of, oh, my God, no? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's
2: definitely uncomfortable for sure. Nobody wants to have a conversation with their parents about sex. Um, but what I would encourage those adult caregivers or adult children caregivers to do is kind of reflect on themselves as well. You know, how important is your sexuality to your well-being and what kind of role does that play in your life and recognizing that it's it's a very important part of everyone's life. And so if we can have conversations with our parents and being um, less involved in the finer details, but more about safety, health and well-being and try to think of it as more of a piece of their, their life, an aspect that is important and we all, we all deserve to be a
0: part of. Right. And uh, for better or for worse, I think Viagra has uh, alerted us to the, <laughs> to the world that seniors do still want to have sex. Older adults still want to do that. And if things aren't working as well as they should be, there can be some help for the men. How about for women? Because things change. Absolutely, there are a lot of things we could we could be here all day
2: talking about the things that we can do to be helpful. But of course, talking about sex isn't always the sexiest thing, so we just don't do it. Um, But yes, there's a lot of things that women can do. Usually, the bigger things that happen when we're aging as women is we are um, as our hormones are changing. There's a lot less estrogen involved in the body, and what that does is there can be some drying involved in the vaginal canals, and things are a little more fragile. Sometimes pain is experienced. Uh, So a lot of times there's different. um, there's different activities that we can do to cultivate more um, intimacy, but there's also things like a lubricant, water-based lubricant to help the drying that's going on down there. You can consult with your doctor about hormone replacement therapy, if that's an option for you to help increase that libido or make some adjustments to what's going on there. So those are usually the biggest suggestions. And then with our physical body, you know, sometimes pain in positions can be a little bit difficult. Um, so there's definitely apparatuses and things that we can talk about that can help make that more comfortable.
0: And it's you really just have to cross the bridge of going this I have to talk about this with my doctor or my therapist or someone who can help guide me through what my problem is and finding that solution.
2: Yeah, absolutely. A sex therapist is a great person to talk to about this and they can also help you to collaborate with your doctor because Not all doctors will have this conversation with you, and even if you do bring it up to your doctor, sometimes uh, they're not prepared to receive those questions, even though it definitely falls into their realm. So um, if you have a great relationship with your primary care, that's awesome, or any of your physicians, I encourage you to ask those questions, Um, but collaborating with a sex therapist to help you find what you need and
3: advocate for yourself is a great step, too.
0: Edith, what questions do you have for Tori?
3: Oh, goodness, Um, many, but let's try to narrow it down. What what I was thinking when Tori was talking was um, the adult children, in my experience as a former administrator of an assisted living here in Florida, were the biggest hurdle. Um, Parents, uh, we never want to talk to or about our parents' sex lives. That's just a given, right? But when our parents are living in a... um, community setting, like an assisted living, they are going to meet people. They are going to engage in activities that are very adult, very, I'm going to say normal, whatever that means, expected. So children, um, if you're listening to me, adult children, please, please, just if you can't Accept that your parent is going to be sexually active, then step out of that realm of their lives and just let it be because you do more damage trying to control it, interfere, interrupt because you're not going to any more than you could your 16 year old.
0: Right. I think that's excellent advice. So let's talk about moving into independent living or assisted living. I'm sure there's some relationships now that ratio for men is to their advantage because it's usually, what, 15 women to one man or one man, something like that. Um, But I have seen from my own experience with my mother um, that man will have many girlfriends and there's a whole other thing to deal with, you know, so... If you are a senior, monogamy, if that's something you want, you need to have that expectation. But also, if they're showing beginning signs of dementia, then your expectations, I guess, have to be lowered.
3: (laughs) That is an absolute excellent example. Many, many, many years ago, when I first started out as a nurse's aide in a nursing home, Um, I'm thinking of a particular male resident who, as he would walk down the hall after supper, after dinner, several lovely women would say, Maxie, Maxie, will I see you tonight? Will I see you tonight? And that's when I first became really aware that, oh, this doesn't stop? You mean you don't throw a switch when you're 65 and it goes away? (laughs) And then, of course, we came and that would have been very late 70s, super early 80s, and then just as AIDS was starting to come into our realm of consciousness, Mm. and I think One of the things, and Tori, I'm sure you can speak to it better, that I've noticed from that point onward is our elders, and what does that mean? It all depends on what age we are, right? Our elders don't seem to either have or give the respect they should to the concept of when you get in bed, so to speak, the euphemism, right? When you get in bed with someone, you're getting in bed with everyone they've ever slept with, mm. that they've ever had an intimate contact with, and I think that's difficult for some of our elders in their 80s, in particular, when they think, "Well, they're honorable, and they pro- maybe had one or two life partners, and you know, I won't get pregnant, right? I won't get pregnant, so what do I have to worry about?" And well, there's a whole lot out there to worry about. Yes. so um, see the villages. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I know we we giggle about that, but. Goodness gracious, 15 years ago when I was teaching CORE, we had a representative from the villages come and wanted to talk specifically about that because it was really such an issue there. And it's sexually transmitted disease, right? It's, and there's effective, simple ways to protect against that while not interfering in the normal adult functions of our bodies.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we we kind of forget, right, again, that sex is a natural bodily function. And we want to be able to do it. It's a part of our needs as a human being. And so it can be challenging, especially, I think, some of our elders who were growing up in a different time in a different society. There's a lot of more cultural norms that they uh, are used to. So even for them, having conversations about what they should be doing or how to protect themselves is that those conversations weren't really happening. And so now they're at this space where they're wanting to maybe explore different things um, or taking advantage of not being able to be pregnant or having multiple partners. And they didn't have all of those norms and discussions that we should have. So that's part of my mission in life is to really break the stigma around sex. I want us all to have a conversation and be able to be open about it. Of course, it is an intimate activity that takes place between um, two or more people. But, you know, um, we should know the facts and we should know how to protect ourselves. So if we're doing a better job of educating ourselves and our community, then all those individuals are going to be able to do a a better job at protecting themselves and their loved ones and anyone they're involved with.
0: Right. And uh, just like it was uncomfortable for your parent to have a discussion with you about the birds and the bees back in the day, it may just be just as uncomfortable, but still, they may not have been sexually active, you know, before AIDS came along or after. And you may have to say, Mom, you know, Dad, I respect that you're going to be making these choices, but please use protection. And here's your box (laughs) of supplies to come with all the other supplies that we're dealing with. So, you know, hopefully we're opening some minds about, yes, people still have these urges and yes, they are going to act on them, but you can't lock your mom up in her room
2: Yeah, and adult children can also um, help be involved, you know, with their health care, as most of them already are, and getting them to and from doctor's appointments, journaling and taking notes about medications and how to keep them healthy and strong. So, you you know, I encourage them to collaborate with the doctors and let them know, hey, I want to have a quarterly appointment with my mom's primary care, and I want to make sure that they do talk about her sexual health and well-being.
3: I think you made a good point earlier, Tori, when you said or, right, Or, um, I'm remembering when I was in my very early fifties, I might've only been 49 and the nurse assistant that you see before you see your physician went down the checklist. And one of the questions was, are you sexually active? And when I replied in the affirmative, she snapped her head up and looked at me shocked and she said, you are. And I thought, oh, wow. I'm glad I don't have anything I need to talk to you about in that regard. (laughs) So, um, it's kind of in my mind, it's kind of equates with finding a qualified team to work with you if you suspect cognitive changes due to some form of dementia. It's the same thing here. If you have issues about how your body performs or is going to change or no longer performs and you want it to, then you need to find an expert in that field. Start with your doc, but you know if they snap their head up and look at you and say, why, then you know find somebody that understands the situation a little better. Right, right. But um, Tori, tell me about the licensing situation here in Florida, there's something unique to Florida, which can be a great comfort to people that are listening.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So Florida is the only state in the US that has specific credentialing to become a sex therapist. Uh, You're not allowed to use that term. If you're a licensed therapist, you have to do additional credentialing, which involves uh, many levels of supervision, um, different hours and service to different categories within the sex realm, and as well as education. So anyone in a different state can be a licensed therapist and call themselves a sex therapist, but they're not spending specialized time or credentialing
3: in that field. And how much um, hours or time, how much time does it take to achieve that level of um, education, the degree degree? I'm not saying it well, but the credentials, that's the word I'm looking for.
2: Um, Without like diving into all the different pieces, but there's probably about 12 different areas of sex and classes and courses they need to go through. And then there's about 120 hours of different supervision clinical experience that you need to qualify with.
3: Wow. Um, So very, very professional, very well monitored, very serious information.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, a sex therapist is a great place to start, as similar as you mentioned, you can start with your physician. But even that can be a little uncomfortable. Starting with a sex therapist, there's not going to be anything you can say to them that's going to feel wild or out there. So they're a great person to start with just to get a lay of the land. There might be some things that are going on that you haven't really thought about in general that are challenges, and they're going to help you guide through that and then give you some different parameters on what you can talk to your doctor about specifically without having maybe that more awkward. Awkward conversation about what you the whole, all the details involved to the doctor, but they can help you prioritize. Okay, you need to go in and ask for a medication about this specific function issue, as opposed to trying to describe to your doctor everything that's going on. Your sex therapist can help you with that a little bit.
0: That's great. Please give your website for everyone.
2: Yes, it's peachytherapy.com.
0: And how do you spell that?
2: Oh, yes, so sorry. Peachy is with an I. So P E A
1: C H I and then therapy.com.
0: All right, we're going to give everybody a chance to write that down while we go listen to a message. We'll be right back.
1: Senior Helpers is the only home care agency offering a revolutionary new way to approach senior care, the Life Profile Assessment. This data-based app is a crucial tool in helping seniors age safely and successfully at home. Combined with our proven in-home care programs and trained caregivers, Senior Helper's Life Profile is leading the way to better outcomes for our clients. For more information, log on to SeniorHelpers.com.
0: And we're back. We are talking with Tori Ricci of Peachy Therapy, Peachy with an I. And she is working as she's a Ph.D. student at the International Institute of Clinical Sexology, probably by the time you hear this podcast, she will have completed everything and she will be an official sex therapist in Florida. <laughs> Congratulations on that. <laughs> Thank you, Robin. I appreciate it. So um, one thing that I keeps going through my mind is intimacy, and that can mean so much more than just the act of sex. Um, I remember caring for my mother. For some reason, I had g- grabbed her hand and I was just continuing to hold on to it. And I was like, oh, do you mind? And she goes, it's just been so long since anyone has touched me. She lost um, her husband about 20 years before and, you know, had friends and everything. But the physical touch, I didn't realize how big of a thing that is until you don't have it anymore. So I can see why you get the couplings, you know, in these assisted living, independent living where they just want to sit and hold hands. But it can also, you know, go into the full sex act. So how do people... Ask for that from people. Sure. Yeah. It's. I mean, it's a challenge, right? It depends on
2: who you're talking to, who is your partner, what is their upbringing, how do they feel about sex, how do they feel about intimacy. I think you know one of the bigger things we can do is really breaking down what is intimacy, because you're right, Robin. It's so much more than just sex. Uh, So something that I do often with my clients is called intimacy mapping, and that's really breaking down what level of intimacy is involved for each individual and what forms of intimacy are important to them, so that we can do it together. So if you're looking looking at the different eight types of intimacy, I won't go into all of them right now. Eight types? Eight types. There are so many. And you know what? There'll probably be, be more here in, in the coming years as we all become more educated. Um, but, you know, it, besides physical touch, which you did mention, Robin, um, is actually separate from how we see sex. So sex is a form of intimacy. Physical touch is a form of intimacy. Emotional intimacy. Um, affection is a form of intimacy. You know, aesthetics is a form of intimacy. We we, we could go into all all of them, but really what intimacy mapping is about is taking each individual's perception and their palette for what intimacy is. So asking those questions, well, what does it look like for you when you're intimate? Is it touch? Is it the space you're in? Is it your surroundings? Is it, um, having ability of comfort? Is it, um, the aesthetics of the room and the noise and the music? Is it having a deeper intellectual conversation that's, you know, similar and something you care about? So, you know, when you figure out all the different spaces in which you do find comfort or connection, that's really what intimacy is about, right? You can experience intimacy with your best friend, with your mom, and it doesn't have to be sexual. It's about connection. And we all yearn for connection as human beings. That's, that's how we were made. That's our genetic makeup. So when you look at those different types of intimacy, I love doing the mapping because you break it down per individual. And then if you guys are familiar at all with the love languages, I love using that as an example, the five love languages, because it's a great example of how we can care and nurture for each other. So Um, I won't dive into the five love languages. For those of you who are familiar, you'll probably know that it's about giving your partner love, how they receive it, and making sure that you're able to receive love in the way that you want to. But when you talk about connection, if you're able to figure out the different types of intimacy and connection you experience, and you're able to share that with your partner or your best friend or your mom or your brother, you're able to give each other the type of connection that you yearn for, and we
3: can all feel more fulfilled.
0: Okay, so not only do older adult adults need to talk to Tori, but everyone.
3: Yes, yes, <laughs> yes I'm thinking, yes. okay, I want to know more about, you know, <laughs> almost every single thing you said. I have a question as you talk about intimacy. In in this world, in today's day, we talk about spectrums, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we talk about gender spectrums. We talk about the spectrums of sexuality and the involvement. So we go from your heteronormative sexuality, where that's obvious, right, down, not down to, but through to asexuality. And people are quite content, thank you very much, to be intimate on those levels that you discussed, hand-holding, hugging, kissing, but yeah, that's, let's stop there. And I've known a couple of folks like that. Your thoughts on that, um, on asexual people who do not want anything to do with that sexual act, but still are loving, nurturing, intimate people.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I think if you look at someone who's asexual, you're really just capitalizing on what I was just talking about, which is that they have a different map for their intimacy and their connection and that sexual aspect or maybe even some aspects of the physical connection doesn't speak to them, doesn't bring connection for them. And that's OK. You know, I think as society and cultural norms, we've kind of created this weird space where if it's not the standard, then it's not normal. Well, what is normal? Mm-hmm. Is it harming you? Is it distrustful for you? You know, if yes, then let's talk about those things. But so long as you're feeling fulfilled, fulfilled, comfortable and safe, there there's no harm there. That is the norm for you. And everyone is different. We are all so different as human beings. And we need to recognize that with sexuality as well.
0: That's great. Uh, one more thing I want to dive into is consent. Um, I think usually that comes to mind when, you know, I don't know, Younger people, 18 and under, we worry about them giving consent, but it's also an issue for older adults. So can you talk about what that looks like over the age of, I don't know, 60?
2: Sure, absolutely. I think usually when you're talking about consent over 60, the common question that comes up is, is how does dementia or cognitive impairment or anything in that realm play a role? And it can be really hard. You know, sometimes we have to find where that gray line is and be careful not to cross it. But when we look at consent for individuals who are having cognitive impairments, we usually lean towards the care partner, so long as they're still cognitively apt, to assess and evaluate, you know, their partner and they know them pretty well but you know as long as again there's no distress consent is really um you know, that comfortability line. If, you're, if your partner, for example, who has dementia, you know, is feeling comfortable and by saying feeling comfortable, right, how do you decipher that? Well, do they seem in distress? Are they wincing? Or are they in pain? Are, um, are they vocalizing anything uncomfortable? Things like that are to look out for, just like we would with any other human being, right? So um, it can be hard to discern where consent is, especially as dementia progresses, but as long as you're being um, cognizant of those cues and things like that, you know, that's really the best job that we can do.
0: And I'm sure that's tough for spousal caregivers, that the person they had this relationship with, you know, if she no longer knows who he is, absolutely, then, yeah, then you don't have consent.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. If they're no longer identifying you as their partner, consent's not going to be there. Um, But that's when I also encourage folks to look at the other forms of intimacy that we don't consider on a regular basis for connection. You know, how can we still have connection with our partner without having to cross over into the sexual realm?
3: That's I think part of that whole context of sexuality and intimacy within the world of dementia is acceptance on the part of the um, care partner, as well as if that's not a factor, if a spouse role isn't a factor, the adult children, Um, I'm thinking of Sandra Day O'Connor, I'm thinking of some people closer to home who go to visit their person who is living in a care setting because they have some form of dementia, and they see intimate interactions, whether it be hand-holding or waist-holding and walking along, and really the only thing for everyone's emotional comfort is to recognize that this is the way it is through no fault of anyone, Um, and if you try to interrupt that and try to interfere in that, in my experience what I've seen is just distress for everyone, and ultimately they will go on to hold hands or more out of the eye of those that they think are interfering or who are interfering. Just because someone cannot articulate, um, my daughter Robin comes along and I can't be with you because she disapproves, that mom will find a place to be peaceful and quiet with the person that she's interested in. It, it will happen. Right. It is a reality. And I think I'm beating that drum a little bit, but I've just seen so much heartache when people try to interfere with that. Um, again, as Tori has said, as long as there is no emotional or physical distress, it's a good thing. Yeah, It's a good thing.
0: Yeah. And I think um, our assisted livings and independent livings and memory care need to be also thinking of that, because I always would think they can, you know, get into that room. Everybody's got the master key, but there also needs to be, you know, you've got to get in for safety, but there needs to be a respect for if adult activities are happening in there, you don't just barge in.
3: One of the things I used to teach our assisted living administrators during the state-required class was, A, go to the health department and get a variety, mm. of, um, and don't forget to get some colors in there because those are fun, and leave them anywhere, right? Put them in public bathrooms or make them very, very accessible. And then the other aspect that I think is very important is to And I don't mean a tie on a doorknob like you see, you know, stereotypically at universities, but is to um, insist that your care team knock on doors, wait for a response, you know, 15, 30 seconds before they barge in. Um, There is a place, and I apologize, I can't remember the name. I read so many articles where um, residents actually book the comfort room for peace and quiet and whatever comes along with that in their nursing home setting. And I thought that was a very delicate, graceful way to acknowledge the adulthood of everyone, regardless of what your setting is or your illness may be. Right.
0: Well great topic ladies. Tori, thank you so much for coming in and how can people reach you again?
2: Yeah, absolutely. They can go to my website at peachywithanietherapy dot com. I'm also on Instagram under Peachy Therapy if you want to follow for fun tips and tricks. Awesome. And give me a call anytime
0: well we so appreciate you and uh, coming on the podcast and for everyone listening please make sure to subscribe to the podcast informed aging tell your family and friends about us we're on instagram and Twitter informed underscore aging and facebook.com informed aging if you need to reach out to us you can do it through social media or informed aging podcast at gmail.com today's episode was recorded at digital broadcasting's podcast studio that's all for now we're Looking forward to our next visit.